If you've ever moved to a new country or even just spent a few months living somewhere where the language and culture are unfamiliar, you've had a glimpse into the dislocation experienced by many migrants and refugees. But as political debates and public fears overwhelm us, it's difficult sometimes to see the human need behind the simple request, will you be my neighbour? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, it's great to have on the line from New Zealand, Pastor Kirsten Erster Lundqvist. How are you, Kirsten? I'm doing really well. And yourself over there in sunny Australia? Yes. Now, you're from um, Denmark originally, is that right? That's correct. Right. That's correct. Okay. Well, I think New Zealand is probably the right place for you because I guess we kind of consider it the the Scandinavia of the you know Oceania sort of region. Do you do you find you're uh, you're settling in in there? How long have you been there now? Uh, we've just been here three years, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, it took me three days to fall in love with Wellington. Everybody's complaining about Wellington being so windy, and I'm like, <laughs> well. That's great. It has fresh air. And <laughs> uh, Denmark, you might not know, is a country that exports windmills to New Zealand. So I feel right at home here. Oh, that's good. And the, and there's the, the, the ponytail is required for anyone with longer hair, is it? Otherwise, you can't see where you're going. Is that how it works? There is a style called welly hair, which means I have reduced my hair product uh, bill tremendously. <laughs> oh, okay. That's good. So... I think I was chatting with you earlier because you were in Australia earlier in the year and I, I chatted with you about writing the article that you wrote for us in Signs of the Times magazine. I sort of got the impression from you that you've travelled around a bit. You've lived in a few different countries. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm one of those nomadic hearts that's kind of taken this whole um, Adventist movement thing maybe a little bit too far. I've lived in quite a number of countries and continents and and I'm just loving the whole moving around and exploring new places mm-hmm. and mm. um, finding out what life is like there. Okay. So you're, you're pastoring a church there in New Zealand. Is that what you've been doing elsewhere as well? Yes. I mean, I've come from a, I've worked 25 years uh, for the Adventist Church mm-hmm. where I've been pastoring and sometimes it's been church planting mm-hmm. where you start new uh, church groups. Sometimes it's been media and communication work, sometimes radio work. So I've done a little bit of a mixed uh, bag but tend to come and just work uh, in the Adventist Church in uh, in a variety of countries. Okay, and and what are you doing there in in Windy Willington in in particular? Well, I'm so privileged that I'm actually leading out a church plant called Capital Church, mm-hmm. which is what I kind of describe as a uh, kind of a refuge church in a way. Sounds a bit ominous, but it's basically people who are just passionate about Jesus and truly the whole "come as you are." It's a little bit more flexible, I think, mm-hmm. than you would have in a, in a northern European church setting. Well, what about the culture in New Zealand, like generally, you know, outside the church, just in the street, in the media, you know, in the shops, that sort of thing? What, what have you found to be similar or different from, from Europe, you know, where, where you've been most of the time previously? Yeah, I think, I mean, there, for me, you're very you're spot on when you're saying there's a bit of Scandinavia in it because people are a lot more informally dressed. It's more casual. Mm-hmm. People are more practical, you know, for the weather. You are you dress for the weather. Yep. You, you just are more practical. But what has really struck me as a huge difference is how friendly people are in Wellington. Wow. So 
I was walking down the street when I came, and I, this kind of illustrates the point. So I was just walking the first couple of days, and people were smiling to you in the street. And I'm like, what, is my, is, is my button undone? You know, do I have, you know, my, is my hair too crazy? Why are they <laughs> laughing at me? Yep. And it took me some time to realize that people were just friendly and, and giving a smile and saying kind of like hi with their facial expressions. In a way, I haven't come across, get on the bus. And when people leave, it's like, it's like thank you, driver. I'm like, wow, we are being grateful for to the bus driver. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of whole whole way of just being, you know, giving each other space to actually be different. Mm. So when I see women in the 70s with green hair, I'm like, okay, there's space for that too. <laughs> and that wasn't just a bleached washout. That was like truly green or pink or whatever it is. So wow. I'm really finding that Wellington embraces variety and difference. And I have to say, I really think when you can live in a place that has space for people of difference, mm. then you are able to live a blessed life. Wow. It, it kind of sounds like that Wellington has embraced sort of the, the best of, a, of the friendliness of a country town, because it sounds like it in that way, but also the best of the sort of diversity and acceptance of the city all at once. It's a fairly rare combination. I think it is. I mean, Wellington is small. I mean, you know, we're not going to kid ourselves. It is a small little city. <laughs> yep. um, so everything is closed. You can walk everywhere. And I think you have that large village, but because it's the capital, you have you have the arts and you have the internationalness and you have the, the not, what I find is people are not insular mm. the way I've come across in other cities and other places in the world. People are well aware of that there is a world outside of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. So you, you've heard the phrase, you know, culture shock, I, I imagine. H- have you experienced that like in New Zealand or, or else, elsewhere? Or have you seen other people going through that? I mean, culture shock is, is basically when, you, when, you, when your system has a shock when you react to something because it's so foreign to who you are. Mm. And I think my biggest culture shock actually is when I go home to my home country. Oh, really? And it's that kind of reverse culture shock. I'm so used to being an international Dane that I kind of define what it is to be my own culture and it's not, you know, it's kind of so mixed by now that I have a bit of a shock when I go home. I'm like, really? This is how we do things? So I'm experiencing more personal, a reverse culture shock, Mm. particularly after coming back from my studies when I went back to Denmark. That was that was a challenge, I think. What 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 is it? What sorts of things are are a challenge? I think there's a challenge when you come to your the country where you are originally from. Mm. You can also talk about it being a third culture shock. Mm. Uh, You're a third culture kid because you grow up more outside of your own culture than in your home culture yeah and there is just an expectation that well if you're danish this is how we do things it's a very homogenous society that i grew up in mm. and you come back and people have changed just the coins are different i mean we still have the same currency but the coins the slang you know you end up speaking like a grandma even though you're in your 20s and <laughs> and just the whole you know you you don't understand the reference to media and personalities you know famous people because you have been gone. Mm, you've been and absolute. so you come across mm. as sounding unintelligent or uninformed in your own culture. Wow. So that, that must spark a sort of a thinking within yourself, where do I belong? You know, I, I've been overseas all this time thinking, well, I'm a foreigner here, so of course I, you know, it's, you know, of course I don't know everything, but then you go what you thought was home and you don't feel like you belong there either. That must leave you feeling awfully sort of you know out of place dislocated 
Yeah, and I think you are to a, to a certain extent. I mean, I probably have lived more years outside of Denmark than I have inside of Denmark at this point in my life. So I, you're absolutely right. It is a shock to go back. And, and you have what's called a third culture kid identity where your life and your home is where your suitcase is. And you kind of, the expensive part of, of this life is that you get used to all kinds of things and from different cultures that becomes integrated in your own life and in your own daily doings. So I like food from here, from there, and you go like, ooh, I miss this and that. Mm. But when it comes down to it, I think it really, I think a lot of people who have left one country and moved somewhere else struggle more with returning to their home country. Mm. And you see that very much in in church settings, I think, is that microcosmos that exemplifies this, that churches that are set up with a language base that is reflecting of a culture from another country from another country than they are presently residing in, mm-hmm. tend to stick with it in a time warp from when they left that home country. Mm. And when they go back to that home country and visit similar churches, they're having a shock because they have moved on, whereas an immigrant church tend to just remain in that time warp. Yeah, I, I've seen that. I, I remember... Uh growing up in in Adelaide and there was a Polish church there that I used to visit you know quite often lovely people lovely stone church actually got married there later on beautiful architecture but it was known as being quite a conservative church when I was 17 I went on a mission trip to Poland and we were involved in the the church there like right there in the capital city of Warsaw and you know I saw girls running around with miniskirts and there was a drum kit involved at one stage and I was like goodness me I I thought Polish people were very conservative when it came to church worship what has happened and it's exactly what you said the Polish church in in Australia had been caught in a sort of a time warp in in some ways and they'd maintained this this sort of time capsule of of attitudes and and worship styles from you know the post-war period while Poland itself had moved on that that's that's what you're saying isn't it it is exactly what I'm saying Mm. and I I know that Polish church because Polish language is so different than English Mm -hmm. and when you have a very different language it tends to become a more insular capsule of Mm -hmm. the time warp than if you have languages if you have an easier access to the language in your new country you get better connected and you tend to move more with the times but we've seen that over and over again and sure and I think it's beautiful where people want to keep their culture alive because that's part of the richness of what makes us us but I also think it, it, it's a reality check for those of us who are immigrants mm-hmm. to actually, you know, we are here. Those of us who are economic immigrants have chosen to move to another country. And it is our duty to understand and learn about the culture we are moving to and moving into. Yeah. That doesn't mean I compromise who I am. I still like my dark rye bread and cheese in the morning. <laughs> and yeah. That's not going to change. But my view of life coming to New Zealand has been tremendously enriched by the choice I made to actually study Te Reo Māori when I came and mm. learn the local language and learn more about the culture and, and, and understand part of this land. 
Mm, wow. But uh, I mean, you, you wrote a great article for us in Science Magazine, Kirsten, entitled, Will You Be My Neighbour? And you made the point in that article that, you know, coming from uh, sort of, you know, white Northern European culture as, as you do to New Zealand as a sort of a, you know, cosmopolitan jet setting, you know, traveller and international worker is, yes, you can relate in some ways to the migrant experience, but someone who has, for example, come to New New Zealand as a refugee has quite a different set of experiences to to you or yeah could, can you just discuss absolutely. that explore absolutely. that a bit for us yes absolutely and I think you know I I think this is part of the whole discussion that, that we are seeing in our media is that people tend to mix up the term immigrant and refugee mm-hmm. we are not the same and none of us are better than the other mm. but an immigrant has made a choice Mm. And we've gone through a very rigid visa process and we coming to coming to a job and all of that. We have made this a choice for whatever reason. It's a choice. When you are a refugee, that is not a choice. And being a refugee is, is just, you know, when you look at the definition, it's a person who is forced to flee the country mm-hmm. because of violence and persecution. Yeah. Obviously, Kirsten, there is a choice, but uh, um, as I remember someone saying to me once, you know, if it's a choice between, you know, run away from your home or die, you, you do have a choice, but it's not much of a choice, yeah. is it really? Yeah. No, it's not much of a choice. If you are, but you know, you also have internal displaced people mm. that, you know, 41, over 41 million people are displaced in their own country around mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. So a refugee, you know, comes to a country from what is called like a refugee allocation quota that is agreed on a global setting. So they might not have chosen to come to New Zealand or to Australia. They might have wanted to go somewhere else. Mm. So when you are a refugee, your choices are extremely limited. And yeah. if it's my life or die, you know, I think most of us would try to go somewhere else or try to run away. Mm-hmm. Even, um, even, if, even if that's the unknown. Absolutely. I mean, you're going into the unknown, but I think if, and, and we know that many don't even have that strength to be able to do that, to flee their country. So I think, you know, for me, the, the, the first thing I have to do as, as, as a white Northern European is to recognize that I'm standing for a place of privilege. Mm. I cannot describe a refugee's journey because I haven't done it. Mm. I have read about it, understood it, but I need to know that my place as an immigrant is as a place of privilege. Mm. And, and as such... I, yes, I can have empathy with people who are fleeing and, and I can have I can talk with them, but I have not felt that on my own body mm. and I'm grateful for that. But I also have to be very aware of not alienizing those who have fled. And I mm, think mm. the debate in the media tends to be we mix it all into one, all foreigners. You know, it's a them and us discussion yeah. and not understanding that there are nuances. Oh, yeah. Wow, no, that's 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 a a really good point. So in Australia, obviously, that you know, discussions around asylum seekers and refugees have become quite politically, you know, divisive, very politically hot. What's the situation there in New Zealand? What what is the the quality of of the public debate about these issues there? Yeah, I think you know, as I wrote in my article, we found the tone of voice in Northern Europe being extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed of my own country, Denmark, and how they have been buying into this very right-wing anti-immigration and anti-refugee uh, rhetoric. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it's an embarrassment to me that I'm coming from a country that is now speaking those words 
instead of what we like to pride ourselves in was that, well, during Second World War, we helped so many Jews escape because that's who we are. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we can't live on that forever. Yep. And I think, you know, when I go to visit Australia, I do sense there is a stronger debate that is very much closer to what I experience in the UK, the US, Northern Europe, mm -hmm. than here in New Zealand. Here in New Zealand, it's like, well, we're gonna, we are going to commit to after our March 15 terror attack, we're going to commit to take more refugees in. Wow. That's, that's what people are saying. It's like, no, we have to take more refugees in. This should not stem it. This should actually say we are committed to, we want to reach out and be a place of refuge. Wow, really? So I didn't realize that because I would have thought, you know, those those March shootings, you know, the, the mosque shootings in Christchurch there, in some ways sort of seems like it, it could be sort of New Zealand's September 11 moment. But instead of sort of, you know, lashing out or seeking self-protection, you're saying that New Zealand is actually opening its heart even more to, to migrants? That's what I'm sensing. I mean, I will not speak for everybody. You are going to have you are going to find hatred in pockets everywhere in the world. And you are going to find people who are just not open to, to people from different backgrounds. However, I've heard more about people engaging with their Muslim neighbors. I've heard of, my husband is a lecturer at the university and he had one of his PhD students is a fully veiled Muslim woman mm. and who has just moved down here in the last couple of months. And she says she has, she has fears less going on the street fully veiled in Wellington than she's done in a lot of other cities around the world. Wow, well, there you go. So, I mean, there is more. I mean, we're not saints here. I'm not going to try to pretend we're something we're not. Yeah. But the whole thing of reaching out that this whole they are us adapted very quickly. No, we will not be defined by this, mm. but we want to embrace that they are also us. That has a flip side, of course, with the Maori and Pacifica um, citizens who are saying, okay, where are we in this picture? Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot more complex than you can just say, oh, this and this and this and this. But but there is a dialogue and there is more of a a recognition that that, that we do not want to be defined by hatred. We do yeah. not want that act to define who we are, mm. which is why name suppression has been very, very important for New Zealanders uh, mm. who are very upset with other media outlets, including mm. Australia outlets, who will name the perpetrator where the theory here is by not giving a name to this person, he will be forgotten. Yeah, he, the, 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 the notoriety, yeah, you're basically denying him no, notoriety. Yes, yeah. exactly. Wow. And, and so it, it, it's a different way of tackling, of dealing with, with such an atrocity, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And I imagine these recent shootings just not long ago in, in uh, Texas in the US and I think there was a, a second shooting just you know over one weekend yeah. that must have sort of brought it all, all back in, in some ways for New Zealanders. I think yes and no, but I think when New Zealanders are taking the action of liking it or not, but we've you know clamped down on our on access to, to guns and and, mm. uh, and the likelihood and people are saying, well, why can't they do it in the States? I mean yeah. this is nothing new for them. Yeah. So I think that, that it, it it goes both ways, doesn't it? You know, where we can, we can feel empathy, but it's also, but if you're choosing to actually do nothing with the empathy, mm. what are you actually empathetic about? What are you protecting? And is that kind of, I think, view of humanity mm. that I find uh, so intriguing? Yeah, yeah. Now, look, I, I you're you're saying you know without doing something about it, and I think that's probably where it comes down to. I would definitely like to get 
you know, practical in, in our talk today. Yes. So, so can you tell me how have churches in New Zealand, like including your, you know, your local church or, or your Adventist denomination in Christchurch or, or across the nation of New Zealand, how, how did they respond to these, you know, Christchurch mosque attacks and to the community discussion and the media discussion that, you know, was created, you know, from those terrible, tragic events? I think for most people, really extended themselves. I mean, I know the the ministers in Christchurch met with the mosque leaders, met with the imams, Mm. and they offered their not just condolences, but standing with them, next with them, and and journeying with them. And I think the majority of of Adventists and most other Christians are standing just not in sympathy, but also realizing that, you know, it could have been us. Mm. You know, we have some peculiar beliefs that people find a little bit interesting and different mm-hmm. at times. And any group that kind of sticks a little bit out of the norm is... Uh, yeah, they, they can be a target. Is, hmm. Yeah, they can. And I th- so I was very impressed with my leadership here at the conference at the union level who, you know, who made comments, who made... Public who statements. stood up in support mm. of it, and, and I don't mm. can, I don't have them right here, so I can't read no, no, them. No, no, that, no, that's fine. But yeah, but they did, and I think a number of Adventist schools also. We did, you know, and, and out. I think yeah. you know what struck me was that several of our um, our members. So we didn't do something as a church as such, mm. but members got involved and reached out to their Muslim neighbors, and we saw here how how people were like, well, if you want, don't want to walk alone, you know. Let me know. I'll come and walk with you. And mm. particularly the women were reaching out to other women. Mm, mm. And so we have one family who are renting out their house to a Muslim family. And they made sure that they visited them and supported them and, and just had that, yeah, community. Mm, mm. So it's been people have been more intentionally about being in community with people of the Muslim faith or of other minorities. Mm-hmm. I, I guess some people might think, Kirsten, that this is... Christians and churches are sort of jumping on some, I guess, sort of trendy, you know, lefty bandwagon in, in speak, making statements like this, being involved like this. You know, they say, well, you know, churches should be, you know, focused on, um, you know, having singing hymns and having church services, not this sort of stuff. But I mean, is that a fair criticism? What, what does the Bible that, that Christians read actually say about how believers should treat foreigners? Does it even deal with that topic? Oh, I think the Bible is super clear, and this is why I always am baffled uh, when people are when people who confess to be Christians are saying they don't want to reach out and be helpful because the Bible is very clear about how we are to treat foreigners, mm. and you know it says there all the right ready from the beginning. It's like don't mistreat or oppress a foreigner, mm. for you were a foreigner yourself. Yeah, you know how it feels to be a foreigner. Exodus twenty three says, "Don't oppress foreigners." And in Leviticus, one of the first books in the Bible, it says there that a foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Mm. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Yeah, wow. And for me, you know, if I, why would I not want to treat somebody from a different country the same? But I think this is where the world gets messed up, that we actually categorize people and think some are better than others. And it's, mm-hmm. the Bible is absolutely saying that is not the case. You know, Ephesians in the New Testament says that consequently you are no longer foreigners or strangers. Mm. You're all fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. And if everybody is my brother and sister in God's eyes, then how can I not? How can I not reach out and engage with them? How can I not think that that their humanity is as much worth as mine? Mm. Wow. 
and I think you know it. It comes to what do you see? It is it in a nationalistic or in a you know? Are you seeing the whole world as gods, or are you seeing just your blessed part as gods? Mm-hmm. And and it's how do we how do we view that? And I think it is it is easy to become insular. It is easy to focus on where we are and in our local environment. Mm. But God is challenging us to actually take it a step beyond saying, "Look, I have created the whole earth." Mm. all of the earth is mine it's all my people i love everyone he came to die for everyone as 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 he talks about but i think you know we can help and be practical can to come back to the practicality question is sometimes we fear what we don't know Mm. and when we see people of a different culture doing different things we're like oh i don't know you know we we might not want to offend Mm. but you know what a smile will not offend anyone Mm. you know a simple thing like a smile or I was in the supermarket a couple of, I think, some time ago with a, with somebody who's not a believer, and this Asian student dropped something that spilled all over the supermarket, and people, you know, we all go a little, people will snicker a little bit and laugh, and yep. and this woman, she realized, this guy is petrified because he's done something and he thinks it's so horrible mm-hmm. that she went over to him and said, no, 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 don't worry, and she called over the staff and said, please clean this up, and said, no, no, you don't pick it up here, that's it's okay, it's okay, and I'm thinking like, wow. A non-Christian could see that and, and be with with mm. somebody who who were just it was painful to see and I'm thinking like what are lessons for us as believers? Yeah, yeah. Just to be that good neighbor in the supermarket where we are, and for those who really want to you know make a difference, there are places like the Red Cross where you can sign up and volunteer and journey with a with a refugee family and help mm-hmm. them you know yeah. with a license and and just you know. Getting to groups we're living a life in New Zealand. Yeah, I, I think there are also. I mean, there are even programs involved where y- you can actually offer your, you know, your granny flat or your spare room, exactly. or, you know, to someone who's, I guess, transitioning into your country, and or to, you know, migrant settlement services are, are all over the place to, you know, help, you know, recent migrants who've often come under refugee arrangements to to settle in to figure out, you know, how to catch the bus and where do I get a table and chairs? And yeah, there are all sorts of practical things we can do. I think it's looking for those, you know, we're not all going to have space to have a refugee family in in, in a granny flat if we don't have one. But, you know, we can all be practical also in how we shut down hate speech that Mm -hmm. we might be hearing, Mm. not engage in all these kind of really bad jokes being it sexist or xenophobic or mm. or just you know and just be helpful in the supermarket you're seeing somebody starts like can i help you mm-hmm. you know never assume that just because you are from your from here that you know everything sure. but going back to the whole christian churches i want to flip the question around is if i don't want to help people who are fleeing to come to my country and in, in need why would i want to go on a so-called mission trip to their country mm-hmm. yeah Let's be real. Let's build relationships where we are. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That volunteerism, they call it sometimes. You know, it's all very exotic to go to another country and help some poor people there. But what what about the poor people in your own community, possibly even but, from the same yeah, country? Yeah, but also, if, if you if you want to go on a mission trip, that's fine. I actually like when you call it, um, Adra in Northern Europe calls it solidarity trips. Oh, right. Okay. So you're coming and you're working alongside a local community with whatever project mm, it is mm. as a solidarity but not as you coming and teaching them uh, another mm. culture. But it comes down to if I feel that this is my calling to be a Christian, to share who God is with communities somewhere else, 
why would I not do the same if that community came on my doorstep mm-hmm. and asked me to be, can I be your neighbor? Yeah. Will you be my neighbor? And that's a, um, it definitely comes from one of Jesus' stories of the Good Samaritan, doesn't it? And and yeah. I guess something else that he said that really resonates with what you're saying is, you know, what we call the golden rule, do unto others whatever you would like them to, to do unto you. It's a basic principle that really does resonate in, in this topic, doesn't it? It does. And I cannot see how we as Christians, if we confess to be Christians, yep. can get away with, with an attitude of not wanting welcoming people. Yeah. The lesser of those who are struggling. And I think this is, you know, as I write in my article, it really struck me home when I went to our National Museum and mm. I realized that New Zealand had actually the first refugee group because New Zealand is a new country. Mm. And I think, you know, we ha- everybody has arrived to New Zealand and that's different from a lot of other places where you have indigenous population where we as white Europeans came and then afterwards and now we are being discriminatory to those who are coming after us. That's a whole different discussion. But New Zealand is a new country. Everybody has arrived here one way. I mean, our our Maori um, citizens are talking about the walkers they came on and those those are really important stories. But when I then see that the first refugee group that was welcomed to New Zealand was that from Denmark. Mm. It just struck a chord in me. And I think that's also what inspired me to write the piece because if I, who who are in a privileged position today, have a history going back to 1860s, which is not that long ago, mm. where my people were standing at the door knocking and asking, can I please come and be your neighbor because it is not safe to live where I am. Mm. How can I turn around and close the door? Mm, to someone in the same sort of need, yeah. Exactly. Wow. No, that's a that's a really great challenge. And yeah, thanks so much for writing uh, the article and, and thanks so much for being a part of Signs of the Times Radio today, Kirsten. Oh, you're welcome. I hope it made a little bit of sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thanks. All right. God bless. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.